0: Omagyanatamiram asyaknyanam jana shalaka takshurin warriors for vanquishing his enemies is doing well. He once satisfied Lord Shiva by covering him with arrows when Shiva came as an unidentified false hunter. But Lord Shiva tested Arjuna's strength by picking a quarrel with him over a hunted boar. He confronted Arjuna in the false dress of a hunter And Arjuna covered him with arrows until Lord Shiva was satisfied with Arjuna's fighting. He offered Arjuna the Pashupati weapon and blessed him. Here Vidura inquired about the great warrior's well-being. This is a well-known incident from Ramayana. Arjuna was once hunting alone. And he struck a boar with his arrows. And when he went to claim that boar, one hunter came to challenge him. Hunter means... Uh, Kirata, this name is given, means, uh, outside the Van Ashram system. It means that Kshatriyas, they would fight with bows and arrows. There were also jungly people who would do hunting with bows and arrows. Even today in India, you find people like that. They're just, sometimes no clothes, or just something very, just, very, uh, uncivilized kind of people, whereas Kshatriyas are very civilized, and they're, they're trained in, uh, fighting, so it's not expected that, uh, some jungly hunter can fight with Arjuna who's great among Kshatriyas. Uh, but the, the maya kirata, the false kirata or hunter. False means because he actually wasn't a jungly hunter, but he was Lord Shiva, disguised like that. So he claimed, no, oh, this is my bow. I hit him with the arrows. So, there was a fight. And Arjuna satisfied Lord Shiva by his prowess, by fighting. Of course, Lord Shiva can defeat millions of Arjunas, ordinarily. uh, Arjuna, when he's protected by Lord Krishna, only on that basis uh, is he invincible. But ordinarily, any human being, uh, Lord Shiva, he destroys millions just by his dancing, not to speak about his fighting. But Lord Shiva, he... Played the role of a jungly hunter and morsel. Arjuna didn't expect such a good fight, he thought, who is this ridiculous person? Come to challenge me. But he found that the hunter was actually a very great fighter, as he'd already discovered previously there was another jungly type hunter, Ekalavya, who had apparently outshone Arjuna in prowess happened previously. So this is a well-known story as uh, Arjuna is being glorified for his fighting ability. As Bhima has been in the previous verse. Bhima has been compared to a cobra. cobra is not a very nice creature. If a cobra enters the house, we don't say, oh look, there's a nice cobra. We become afraid because it's very venomous. And Bhima is being compared to a cobra because he is venomous. His fighting was like that. So Bhima is considered a great hero for the Pandavas. And even today he's considered a great hero. Bhima, Arjuna. One of the uh, awards that's given by the Indian government to the uh, great fighter in the army. There's something, isn't there? Arjun award, something like that? In athletics. Um, that's not something. But Arjuna wasn't a fool running around track, and in the army they do that. Also, they they run with heavy weights. So anyway, the point is that uh, even today, Yajuna is recognized as a great warrior. But it's interesting to note that who is considered a great hero on one side is considered a great villain on the other side. Just like this, uh, what's his name, Vingran Valley? what was his name, that he got shot to pieces in the Operation Star. What was his name? He was famous among the Punjabi. Freedom firm. was His name Pindravan or Something like that. So he was considered a... It's just one example of many. Napoleon was considered a great hero by the French, but the British considered him a great rascal. He's... Uh, I saw in the paper some months ago some Palestinian had... A suicide bomber, and the Israelis, they didn't like him because he killed so many Israelis. But his father said, yes, I'm proud of my son, because he blew himself up and blew up about 20 Israeli Jews at the same time. So who is considered a hero on one side is considered a villain on the other side. Although sometimes, just like here, we see Lord Shiva was fighting with Arjuna, and he was actually very satisfied, very good fighter, good boy, like the father. Like a father, is, uh, he's testing his son how to fight. And uh, then he becomes satisfied. I used to see, this is a little bit of my but... It's, uh, it's showing, a TV program he used to be, very famous many years ago. It used to show this, uh, some kind of martial art teacher, how he was testing his disciple. He would hold something in his hand and say, Take it from my hand. Always he would close his hand too fast for me. And then one day the, the pupil took it. He was quicker than the master. He said, Okay, now you leave the ashram. Now you are perfect. Now you go. You don't have to learn anything more from me. So, like that he was he was satisfied that who is he has defeated me. He appreciated that spirit sometimes also, in, in uh, even in Kami life, the they're, they're one fighter—they're they're really fighting. It's not just spiritual master and disciple. They're really fighting, but they appreciate. That was one of Prabhupada's godbrothers was describing because he was from that previous generation. How there was in the, the German general Rommel was fighting, and uh, the British who is fighting against the British commander kept a picture of him. His tent, because he appreciated. He was such a great fighter. He had great appreciation that the British, the German forces in the African desert, they were finished. And they sent this General Rommel, and he was, they had like 100 tanks against the British, 2,000 tanks. They were practically finished. But anyway, by different tactics, he managed to smash the British in various ways. So they appreciated. He was a very good fighter. One fighter will appreciate another fighter. But in general, we uh, don't appreciate because we want to kill. The Germans, they were lauding Hitler. The British, they were wanting he will be dead. Like that. Or this, the Pakistanis, they may want the, the, all the Hindus in Jammu and Kashmir, and maybe in the whole of India, and in the whole world to kill. And anyone who kills them, they think, very good, he's a good jihadi. Maybe not all of them think like that many of them do, but the Indians, they say, who are these terrorists coming and blowing us up? Because in general, violence isn't very good. As a principle, violence isn't very good, but those who inflict it on others, on the, just like Arjuna is called the Kshatriya, so Arjuna's fighting, those who he's fighting for, they consider it very good and very noble and very wonderful, but those, those who he's fighting against, they think it's very horrible. Arjuna he just like uh, after the, ba- the battle of Kurukshetra him personally killed all one hundred sons of Dandhari. Actually she had one hundred and one. One was Yujutsu, and no, he was a son of Ritrashtra, not another son of Gandhari. He was a son by a one. so he was fighting on the side of the Pandavas actually. So the hundred sons of Gandhari were all killed by uh Heman. So after the battle, Dhritarasht, he called Nima, come, my son, I'll embrace you. Krishna said, he wants to kill you by his embrace. You're very powerful, but he's more powerful. He'll crush you. So you just put one stone in uh, in view of yourself, so you crush that stone to pieces, blind to So Nima was considered very wonderful by the Pandavas. Bhima and Arjuna. But the remnants of the Koravas, that means, particularly Dhritarashtra, he didn't, he didn't think Bhima was very nice. Neja Vidura, who is speaking here, he was to chastise Dhritarashtra. That you are living in the palace, eating the remnants of food which are provided by Bhima, who has killed all your sons. See how shameless you are. The point I'm making here is that violence, If it's inflicted, it's praised by those on whose behalf it's inflicted. Generally, generally so. But it is not appreciated, it's generally not appreciated by those who it is inflicted on. Violence is actually something intrinsically not very nice. But we see that these great devotees, Bhima and Arjuna, they are praised for their, generally they're praised for two things. One thing, for their devotion to Krishna, and another thing for their violent, for their military activities, which means their violent activities. And Krishna is also praised for his violent activities. Krishna is known as so many different incarnations of the Lord. One general name for them, the general name of Krishna is Daityari, who is the enemy of the sons of, of descendants of Diti. And there are so many names, Ravanari, Aghavit, Palambari, that's the name of Palawan, Ravana, of course, is Lord Ram. So there are many names of the Lord in connection with his killing the demons. So you may think, well, killing is not very nice. And Actually, for saintly people, in general, saintly people or people who are Trying to be gentle and good, then they will not appreciate killing very much. And killing is not considered very nice. If you see a dead body in an accident with all blood, and, or if you see someone in the movies that, because it's so demoniac, they show movies of people being shot dead, stabbed, and you know, all tomato ketchup coming out of them. It's supposed to be blood. Whatever it is, some red thing. And uh, people, due to their demoniac propensity, they it's very popular. They, if you watch TV, which I don't recommend it, but if you do happen to do so, then uh, you'll see in the course of, so we're told, in the course of one hour of an average American TV program, you'll see about five murders. Somehow they think it's entertaining. But then when someone actually is murdered, then they think, well, that's very bad. And if you, see, if you see someone murdered, or if you hear of someone being murdered, that's not very good. It's very bad. It's not very nice. Because, of course, uh, violence is a, a necessary uh, aspect of this material world. Jīvao jīvanam, it's stated in the Bhagavatam, that one living being lives off another. So violence is always there, even to eat. Because it's possible to avoid all violence in eating if you just eat fruit which drops from trees and grains which are harvested after the plant is died. If you take milk, which is not actually inflicting violence on the cow, then you can eschew all violence in eating. And if, like the Jains, you try to sweep the road so you don't tread on any ants. You could avoid treading on ants. But of course, you might, by sweeping them, you might kill them also. That's also possible. So, a violence is there in the material world because this is the world of exploitation. Every living being is trying to lord it over everyone else and trying to use everyone else for their own sense qualification. Therefore, everyone is in competition. And when Someone is more powerful than others, then he tends to dominate and lord over on the basis of the uh, demoniac maxim that might makes right. Who is more powerful, they will conquer and win. Actually, that's accepted even in Vedic culture. A king, if he's more powerful than another, is, uh, it's not considered adharmic for a king to conquer over another kingdom if he's more powerful. Than this king is supposed to be powerful, so he he can protect the citizens better if he's more powerful. So it's not just to take over for his own aggrandizement, that's not very good, but if, if the neighboring king is weak, or especially if the neighboring king is not very strong to protect his citizens, then it's not considered adhanic for a king to march in and take over the kingdom, the neighboring kingdom. But in general, the principle of might makes right is used for demoniac purposes, to lord it over others. That's allowed. Actually, as they should be strong. It's not simply by vote that one should become a leader, but one should be powerful enough to be a kshatriya. Kshatriya means one who protects others from harm. That means that we may say, let's be good. Today we have made a law that everyone shall be good. and Everyone shall be nice and I'm okay and you're okay and whatever everyone does is nice and good and all wonderful, and from now on, if we take up the principle, for instance, now we believe in non-violence. So, a uh, rich man will declare, I am now a proponent of total non-violence. So, then someone will say, very good, and I walk up to his house and start putting everything, do break open his safe, take everything out. And then if you're actually a proponent of non-violence, then you won't do anything to stop him. Now I'm going to enter your house and uh, take away your daughters and your TV set and everything inside it. And you shouldn't stop me because you're non-violent. So you can understand from this example that violence is required in this material. It's uh, sometimes the the police go on strike. I don't know if in India if that ever happened, but in the western countries, sometimes the police go on strike and immediately there's looting. All the shops in the city are looted. That happened in America sometimes. As soon as it was known the police are on strike, then immediately the people just went and smashed all the windows of the shops and came in and took, them, came with big trucks and filled up the trucks and took everything. So, Why are people not doing that ordinarily? Because they're afraid of the police. Because if they know, in, in normal circumstances, if I drive up with a truck and smash the window of the shop and start putting everything in, and the police will run up and, uh, you know, catch me by force, they won't say, um, well, um, excuse me, sir, um, I don't think we should break into the shop, and uh, what do you think? Why don't you be a good, like, good man and stop stealing? Just like that, it won't work the police will come with big sticks and smash him on the head. Drag him off. So people are not openly committing theft and crime. Because they're afraid. So violence is good in this material world. It's good when it's properly used. It's good to combat the evil tendency, exploitative tendency of others. So, Krishna himself Exhibits them, he comes to kill demons. Demon means one who has got, too much exploited tendency. Actually, any exploited tendency is too much. In this, in this material world, there are godly persons and demoniac persons. Deva, Asura. But even the Deva is somewhat demoniac because he has the tendency to enjoy and exploit this world. But when that tendency is not Control. When when one does not submit to Vedic injunction, which allows one to enjoy within certain limits, when one does not submit himself to the Vedic injunctions, then he's considered demonic. Or, even if someone, that that means that Vedic injunctions allow you to enjoy, which is a demonic tendency but within certain limits of following rules and regulations. But even if someone does follow the Vedic injunctions, but he doesn't recognize that Krishna is supreme, then he's also considered a demon. Because that means that he's accepted the Vedic injunctions only superficially. He hasn't accepted the spirit of the Vedic injunctions, which is to become purified by following them and come to the point of Vishnu. of demon. So this world is uh, full of exploitation. A great kshatriya like Arjuna, he is glorified for his ability to protect others from the uh, demoniac activities of overly exploited persons like Duryodhana, and that is also considered something very wonderful. The heroics, great hero of the the heroic activities of a great fighter. That is also one of Krishna's ways of achieving pleasure. Krishna takes pleasure in fighting, and he takes pleasure in others' fighting. That is also one kind of pleasure, because one's strength and his intelligence and his ability is pitted against someone else. So that's also one of the Gona-rasas. That means there are five principal rasas in which Krishna enjoys with his devotees, namely Shanta, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhuri. But there are also the Gona-rasas, or secondary rasas, among which Veera-rasa is one of them. Heroism. So that Krishna, he's also known as Bira krishna He's known as a great hero. So heroism, the ability to fight, that's a great art. How to fight with others, a great skill and great so that's an art and that also requires great heroics. That one heroics means that one will take risks. Fighting is a risk. Sometimes we see that people I've seen often in one particular area of India I was in previously that people would become very, they would choose, they would pick up quarrels, but only when they outnumbered the other party by about five to one, when they became very heroic and very, very belligerent. Uh, only if they outnumbered, the, only if they had more in their party. So that's not heroics. That is a symptom of cowardice. Just like this Rommel, you who know, I was saying, given an example. He was very much appreciated even by his enemies, the British, because even with less numbers, by military tactics and skill, and by not only military tactics and skill, but by bravery, by great courage, he took on an enemy that was much outnumbered. We heard about Napoleon also, that even if his troops were outnumbered, he would always win. Because he was such, he was very... Courageous and very brilliant in his fighting tactics also. But he used to get every month a migraine headache. So the British, they used to keep their spies, and when they knew he had a migraine headache, then they would attack him, and then, he could, then they would be defeated. So, like this, this is all politics, and war, and this is going Mahabharata also, in politics. So, they knew that Duryodhana, uh, Dronacharya, he could only be defeated because he himself told, I can only be defeated if Ashwatthama is killed. Yudhishthira asked him, "How? You please tell me how can you be killed. He said, well, I can only be killed if Ashwatthama is killed, my son, out of disappointment. I, then I can be killed. So then they, Yudhishthira asked, Ashwatthama, please bless us, you're a Brahmin. Okay, you're blessed. Then uh, please tell us how you can be blessed, You can't kill me. I'm, after this battle is over, I'm still going to be alive. So then, what to do? And they can't stop joining, so some politics and... Ashvatama hatha, uuuh, So, politics, it's going on. It's diplomacy and fighting. It's, it's said that all spare in love and war. There's saying, there are rules of fighting, but in, in there's an English saying, all spare in love and war. In matters of love, and in war, every, everything, everything goes. That Krishna himself was asked after the battle, you see, so many bad things were, you know, so many things were done against the rules of battle. You, you induced, you, you induced to lie, and he killed Karna when he was down from his chariot, and so many things. Yudhishthir said, well, we had to win. Couldn't have won if we didn't do that. Of course, Krishna, he could have won just by his desiring. But, uh, and generally they fought according to rules of battle. But, uh, there were some tricks also. Some tricks. Karna, Dronachar, he, Dronach- he was killed by tricks. And Karna, of course, Krishna gave Karna the good reply that this is not according to Dharma to kill them like this. I ran down from my chariot stuck in the mountain. And Krishna replied, Oh, Dharma. Oh, you're interested in Dharma. That's very nice. <laughs> Pleased to hear it after such a long time. Where was your Dharma when you tried to kill Bhima by poisoning him? Where was your Dharma when you had and dragged Dropati into the assembly? When she was uh, during her season, where was your dharma when you cheated in that? Like this, on and on. And karma's head is hanging down. It's all I do. See, his head is hanging down. Cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> you have nothing to say. See, now you're laughing, but actually, if you were there, you might not laugh because if you see someone's head cut off, what will you do? You'll vomit most probably. If you go for a job in the slaughterhouse, they won't give you a job. To save you say. You say, uh, what were you doing last? I was a brahmachari in Hari Krishna. And now I need a job. Please engage me in this job. I say, no. You won't be able to do this job. Because, uh, you see, there's so much blood. we already have so much blood, and we don't need your vomit also to mix with it. You won't be able to do the job. That's why kshatriyas, they would go into the forest, and that's one reason here it's describe they hunting boars. Because, uh, you see, the, the animal will be screaming, you've heard the maybe living in this city center, you don't know, but they, the people who keep the pigs, from time to time, they catch them, and then they're screaming. They say, if you don't know, it sounds like a little baby screaming. They're screaming, because they know, now I'm going to be killed. And then they cut them. If you're in a Muslim country, or I used to live in Bangladesh, if you go outside and eat them, you'll see so many cows, they took they put a nice garland on the cow and decorated them and then they cut the throat. So it's, it's horrible. It's not pleasant to see even animals being killed. I mean, what to speak of human beings? It's not very pleasant. We, we hear about it. We read, oh, Arjuna is killing so many people. Krishna was killing so many people. But actually, intrinsically, it's not pleasant. There is some kind of pleasure. There is the heroic pleasure overcoming an enemy. And when Krishna or one of his devotees, pure devotee like Arjuna kills an enemy, then they are benefited, that enemy is benefited by liberation. Otherwise, normally if you kill someone, although in the, among materialistic people, there is, uh, among heroic fighters, they feel that heroism. But after some time, they may feel actually, this is disgusting, just like we have the history of Maharaja Shok in India who was a great king and he was conquering over so many enemies but at some time he thought is not good so he became a Buddhist which is worse that kills people spiritually but he thought Buddhism they're teaching Ahingza so they'll do no physical violence but they'll kill you spiritually by teaching a philosophy by which you become spiritually they want to kill you by saying there is, there is no atma. There is not, there is no, there is nothing. Nothing. Just kill everything. Because there is nothing. So, it's the most violent philosophy on earth, it? but it's, superficially it's promoted as being non-violent. But anyway, he was king, killing, 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 very successful in fighting. Then having conquered over most of India, he brought in Buddhism, thinking that this non-violence is very good. Uh, actually, on the material platform, violence should be eschewed as, as much as possible. It's not intrinsically good. That's why violence is only allowed only for the sake of counteracting that which would be worse in Europe. Orleans. gave an example that a soldier who kills many enemies in the war is decorated with a medal. Very good fighter, but if he may kill hundreds of men and he's praised for that. But then if after coming home he kills one person, not in the battle, but just just like that, without any particular reason, then he himself is to be home. Killing under rules and, uh, under rules and regulations, now you have to fight. Even fighting now you have to do under the direction of the commander when you see these, uh, I'm giving the name of Rommel and so many great fighters. But they would only fight under the instruction of Hitler, the commander-in-chief. Only when he said, now you go to fight," Only then they would do. They, uh, And then, on the battlefield, the men, they would only start firing when they're given orders. Now, you, of course, if they're ambushed, then they would immediately start to fight. But otherwise, it's not that the soldier, he's on the battlefield... And he thinks, well, you know, I think, I think, you know, I'll do something good. I'll go off and shoot a few of the enemy. No. They have to work under the direction of the commander. who will tell them, now you go. Fifty of you go here and do like that. Only when they're ordered. And only in the battlefield. The army men, they, uh, if they start killing without orders, then again they're court-martial. Even the like Pakistan is considered the enemy of India, And for some reason which I don't understand, maybe someone understands. Recently they brought most of the Indian army up to the Pakistan border, kept them there. They uh if they start killing without orders, then again they're court martialed. Even the enemy is left, just like Pakistan is considered the enemy of India. And for some reason which I don't understand, maybe someone understands. Recently they brought most of the Indian army up to the Pakistan border, kept them there for a few months, and then again brought them all back. So why they do such things we don't know. But it's understood that Pakistan is supposed to be the enemy. Not Sri Lanka's not the enemy. Pakistan's the enemy. So they were there on the border, and they were thinking every time they went to fight. But if a junior officer or a just corporal, private, suddenly started shooting the Pakistani troops who were sitting on the other side, looking at them. If they start shooting at them, then they'll be caught, martialed Why did you do without orders? So, to be non-violent, you don't need any particular rule. But to be violent, that is only allowed under certain circumstances, under certain rules and regulations. Because intrinsically, it's not good. Although it, it is good under certain circumstances, but only to ameliorate the violent or exploited conditions of this material world. Only to, in other words, only to punish persons who are not behaving properly, who cannot be convinced by any other means. Again, war, before violence is resorted to, other means should be attempted to try to quell the exploited or antisocial tendency of others. That's why Usually they try to, before they go to war, they try to talk and negotiate. Even Krishna, he tried to negotiate with Yodha and don't fight. Only when there is no other goal then they would Then they come Even, even for Vaishna, it's not totally forbidden to eat meat. i to quote that. That means you're all going to go down to the McDonald's now not totally forbidden, means that if there's no, if there's nothing else to eat, if you're in a situation where there is nothing whatsoever, then you may eat meat to survive. That is a love. When Harigreish uh, Maharaj was, Prabhupada was telling him to go to Russia, he was refusing in so many ways, that I can't speak the language and this and that and and then he said, Prabhupada was defeating his ideas. And then he said, well, there's nothing there to eat except meat. And Prabhupada said, well, eat meat and go there and finish. Another time, some devotees told a story in the front of the newspapers that one plane had crashed in the Andes Mountains in South America. And it's a very huge mountain range, and They were... Most of the people had died, but a few had remained alive. So... uh It was all very... they were caught in the snow, and they were there for some days, and then there was no food, and then one of them, who was a doctor, he knew how to dissect bodies, then the the bodies, because it was cold, so he started eating the meat, he cut the bodies of the dead humans and started to eat them, and after they were rescued, that came up as a big controversial issue, ethical issue. Was it right or was it wrong? And they asked Prabhupada what he thought. Was it right to have eaten the dead bodies of human beings? Who wants to eat be human beings? I mean, even meat eaters, they don't like that. Most of them. So uh, Prabhupada said yes, he did the right thing. If there's nothing else to eat, you can, you can resort to such measures. Otherwise, you would, would have also done it. So uh, the Vaishnava philosophy is very pragmatic. Violence is allowed only under certain conditions. Even meat-eating can be allowed under certain conditions. It's not expected that a those who come to this Krishna conscious will, will ever eat meat. It's not expected that we'll be in such a condition. I heard it said, I don't know if it's true, because you hear many things that Prabhupada said, which may not be true, I heard it said that the said he would rather die than eat meat. We have in the Mahabharata also a story of there was a great famine and then they killed cows. One rishi. Who was that? Yagyabhalka? Maybe was. He killed the cows and fed them to his disciples. to ate dogs. In the same situation, there nothing else to eat. So, violence is allowed but only under very certain conditions. In Kali Yuga, there is Vitharantza, that's stated as one of the symptoms of Kali Yuga. Useless, meaningless violence. People resort to violence for pleasure. recently there was, uh, I was told there were two men in Washington, D.C., they were going around and shooting people, killing them. What for? For fun! strict, wicked mentality but just in uh, in England the supposedly highly civilized place where I come from mm-hmm. even when I was a kid it was a very common thing at that time it was a really very normal thing there, there, there are gangs young men would call themselves into gangs and different gangs would fight with each other what what? not anything, just they just they just disliked each other and they they just fight and they would Unusually they would kill, but at least the football gangs. They would have supporters of different teams. They would come together, they different football teams would come and play football together. And the different people who are watching, not everyone, but the young men, they would fight with each other. They wore these big heavy boots and kick each other like this. Why? They, ana- they analyze frustration and this and that. But then one sociologist said, well, you know, it's just part of our culture. It's been going on, our culture. This has been going on for hundreds of years. And we're a violent people. He said it British are violent. That's how we conquered over the world. We didn't conquer over the world by going around and holding tea parties everywhere. But we came in and by uh, force, by military strength, they conquered. So that's a symptom of Kali In America also, there's so many examples. In America there used to be some big animal called a bison that used to wander around all America. And when they, there were the so-called Red Indians, which they now call them Native Americans, because they're not Indians at all. Christopher Columbus landed in America and thought he was an Indian at first. He was looking for Indians. So, uh, so they many of the Red Indian tribes, as they used to call them, they used to be vegetarian. Others were meat-eaters, but they would only kill one animal at a time what they needed for their food. But then when the Western man came with his guns, they shot them for hunt. And within a short time there were no bison, they were extinct, so they told So this uh, that's, that's actually how the western man has become very prominent in modern society, in the modern world. It's not only because of their technological development, but because of their violent tendency. Because they have a tendency to dominate over others. They're considered highly advanced in culture, but actually their culture is, it's a very, uh, how do we call that, machismic, a very violent kind of culture. Now they're bringing that to India also. They, they, they think if someone's got a very big, strong body, that that's, well, that's really great. They respect a person, a man, if they hear these very, his huge muscles. <laughs> I mean, they, they consider that, that's really, really great. I mean, that's, that's a real man. And in India, people, even now, they tend to respect they give a lot of respect. What is your educational qualification? They respect that. They respect they're more on the platform of Jan. Whereas in the West, people, they don't care very much. Right? Is it in France? They care whether you're very educated or Is it? You don't know. You've we been so long, you don't know. In the West, they don't care if you're, if you're a triple PhD or whatever. There's this guy from, uh, say, Stephen Hawking. He's, he's, He's much more known and respected in India than he is in England, where he's from. In England, they don't care. But uh, in, in England, if you're a big, strong guy who can punch some... or you can kick a football very inexpertly, then you're considered a, a national hero. Uh, now that's coming in India, because they're importing this demoniac civilization. Now they... who can hit a ball very expertly with a piece of wood, this man don't what's his uh, first name? Such a, he's a national hero, right? For the for having perfected the art of hitting a ball with a piece of wood and running like anything, <laughs> which is of no use to anybody, there's no practical value to anyone whatsoever. But he's become a national hero. Well, this is all foolishness. So, the basic point we're making here is that uh, violence in and of itself is not good, but, uh, when that is used for protecting citizens, then it is something. Otherwise not. Uh, that's why in the Spiritual world, there's no violence actually. Krishna comes to this world and he protects his devotees by killing various demons. But, that's, the Acharyas have stated that in the original form of Krishna he doesn't do that. Vasudev form. He does that. Now we find that even in Vrindavan, there are very many demons. Actually it's the first line I ever read in any of Prabhupada's books. I first got this Krishna book volume too. The first line I read was that Krishna was the sinister of all eyes in Vrindavan, not in the first sentence, in the second sentence. But the material world is so contaminated that even in Vrindavan, so many demons came to make disturbances. So we find there are many demons in Vrindavan also. Beginning with Putana uh, Shakata Asura, and so many Yoma Sura, Bakasura, sura Agra so many demons came, Keshi. they came right in Vindavan. Kalia also was actually a demon, but uh, because his wives were devotees, then Krishna spared him, he didn't kill him, but actually gave him more mercy than many devotees could dream of, is that he not only gave him the dust of his lotus feet, but over and over again pounded him with his feet. He even made the uh, Kali the place for a nice rasadam to go to mountain on his head. So, uh, when Krishna comes to this material world, even in Vrindavan, he exhibits such pastimes. Now, we know that uh, Krishna is our protector and surrender to Krishna is one of the intrinsic features of surrender to Krishna is Rakshisha Titi Vishwaso. Firm faith that Krishna will protect me. So that protection, of course we pray to Krishna to protect us from fall down, falling down into material consciousness, particularly here we worship worshipping Radha Madhana Mohan. madana Mohan particularly is the form of the Lord, or the, the form in which Krishna is meditated upon by devotees in the initial stage, those who are not, qualified to worship him as Gopinath, the Lord of the devotees, They worship Krishna as Madan Mohan. To mm. worship Madan Mohan, that uh, I am lame and ill-advised. My mind is very bad. But I worship Radha, uh, Madan Mohan. They are my only shelter. So, Mother Mohan is the shelter and the protector of the devotees who are violently attacked by material desires for enjoyment in this material world. We also pray to Nushimhadev in the same way. Om Namo Bhagavate Narasimha Namasteja, Teja, Seyed, Aviravivara Vajjanaka Vajjatamsha Kama Asaya Nanda Ayarangayam Om Svaha Ayarangayam Atnabipu Ishta Om Svaha my dear Lord hashimha you have very fearsome teeth and nails, just like thunderbolts, which are meant for destroying the demons. So you please kindly destroy the demoniac like desires for enjoyment of this material world, which is within my heart, and make me fearless in this material world. The devotee has no fear. He's not afraid of death. He's not afraid of demons. Of course, there may be some superficial feeling like that, do, but basically he feels protected By Krishna, but a devotee feels afraid of Maya. When it is said that a devotee is fearless, that doesn't mean that he gives up fear of Maya. Oh, I don't care for Maya. He's afraid that Maya can gobble me up at any time. I'm only a tiny jiva. Maya is so powerful. maya yurga she, under her agency, creation, maintenance, destruction of this is done also by Shiva, Brahma, and Vishnu, but within her jurisdiction she's so powerful, she can bewilder by her representation she can bewilder, her representation means a beautiful woman is supposed to be the representation of Maya. So, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Daro Prakriti Hore Ratimam, that what to speak of a beautiful woman, even a wooden form of a woman, can bewilder even the mind of a great muni or rishi. Maya is very strong. As we see the, uh, the advertisements, the three advertisements, maybe seven out of ten, features some beautiful woman. So what is that advertisement? It's a piece of paper with some colors and some blue on the back. It's stuck up in the middle of the street. There's no beautiful woman in the advertisement. It's it's not actually a woman. But it's put there because it's known that will attract the money. Men will be attracted and women will also be attracted. Also money, these two things. Tanaka Money and female attraction, or in the case of women, male attraction. These are the stumbling blocks or transcendentalists. What is money? You see money, in some paper. gold, tanaka, gold. People become attracted by gold. What is it? It's just some metal. What can you do with gold? What is it? What's so special about gold? It's just, just a the substance. There's word in it. What is solid? Gold is solid. Why are people attracted to gold? Well, theoretically, you can get some enjoyment from money. You can buy things for your enjoyment. Intrinsically, it is nothing that people are attracted. Money, women some attractive. To... Maya is very powerful. So a devotee doesn't think of well I'm such a good gra- I'm such a great devotee, but I don't care for money. To Maya. So He's afraid. and I'm powerless. Only if I take shelter of Krishna can I be saved. So when it's said that a devotee is fearless, that means that he's fearless one thing because he's not attached to the body. So he's not fearful of his body. Because that also requires great advancement. It's easy to say that. But I'm not afraid that if someone comes running at you with a knife, then quite likely you feel afraid. But uh, he feels fear of maya, but at the same time fearless, knowing that if I take shelter of Krishna, then I'm being That is his fearlessness. Not on his own strength. At and I, I chanted my... I got up this morning at 1.30 and I chanted 32 rounds and then I read Bhagavad Gita for one hour. And no, nothing, no one can touch me. The maya can touch me. If we think like that, then we're already in my <laughs> We are not the controllers of the Holy Name, we are the servants of the Holy Name. So it's true that if we, if we get up early and chant and all those things, that should make us stronger. What kind of chanting? Chanting means praying to Krishna. Krishna, please help me to advance in your service. If we think that chanting Hare Krishna is like some kind of yoga by which we, we get some mystic power and then we use that power to control this, our senses in the world, then we never chanted Hare Krishna at all. That means we want to use the name of Krishna in our service. Rather, we get strength by chanting Hare Krishna, by praying to Krishna. Then we get strength. Not that... I I remember some years ago, there was uh, one devotee, he he had... uh, he he opposed the GDC on some philosophical issue. And actually, time showed it to be right on a particular issue. But, uh, then... The GVC members were going to come and debate it. It was a very hot issue. So then he fasted for three days and he was chanting like 100 rounds a day or something. And he thought, I'll get strength like this. But actually when they came, he was so weak. Fasting, he couldn't say anything. So he was thinking, I'll get power like this. So we may get power by chanting Hare Krishna, but by by actually chanting Hare Krishna. We get power by by identifying ourselves as the servants of Krishna and praying to him to that, please I have some service to do, even though I'm not worthy to do so. Please engage me in your service. But he We pray that nai Nam Bhakti Nam he prayed in, when he went to America, he made this poem to Krishna, Krishna Pada Padme Pratam. So made that poem he lot I have no bhakti and no vein, no knowledge, but I have a very big name, Bhaktivedanta. So he prayed to Krishna that now you please make that name meaningful. So he didn't he didn't write that, well, my name is Bhaktivedanta and I'm going to go and, uh, you know, show those Americans what's what. If you think now I am going to preach, devotees, I just like to announce to everyone, I am going out to preach. I am going to save the world. I have descended into this world to save everybody from Maya. I am an I am a Shakti You announce like this. You can't do this. Book distributors, They know. If you think today. You know, I'm really going to distribute a lot of books, you can't do anything. Or if you think yesterday I did so much and today I'm going to do more, you can't do anything. It's only by constantly praying for the mercy of Krishna that we can do anything in his service. And if we stop praying and start thinking that I am the doer, then immediately we can do how much nothing. We can't do anything. Krishna reminds us. Krishna takes away all ability. Just to show that the ability comes from them.